And just want to welcome everybody who's joined us here today, uh, everybody who came to see young Mick be baptized. Uh, fun fact, Mick and I are actually related through the way. For those of you who don't know, I only realized this a little while back, but and we actually have my grandfather here with us today, so special guest in the house, my dad's dad. Um, but anyway, so excited to baptize Mick and have him join the church officially, and now we can get him on about five or six committees and get him tithing, and that's, that's what he's here for, right? No. no, fun stuff though. Absolutely love it. Couple of, I want to make a few announcements real quick, and before we jump into the sermon, a few things just to make everybody be aware. So we do have, uh, we are aware that there's been an uptick in COVID cases here recently. We've seen people uh, getting getting sick again, testing positive, and we currently have four people in our congregation that we're aware of that have tested positive for COVID. Not in the room with us. If you have COVID and you're in the room with us, please step out. Um, kidding, but still. <laughs> but we are praying for them. Some of them are, um, again, all of them are dearly loved by us, and, and some of them are struggling with COVID. And with that in mind, we, I've been meeting with the deacons and discussing with them how can we best protect the members of our church and, and care for them and be aware of what's going on uh, but then at the same time, not try to mandate or enforce a bunch of rules or things like that. So we discussed some things, some friendly reminders that we're going to put out for you to uh, be reminded of how you can 
best take care of your, yourself and your loved ones. So we'll have more information coming out this week, probably on maybe Monday or so, we'll get that out to everybody. So just know that we are aware uh, of this, we are taking it seriously, um, but at the same time, we're not coming in with a bunch of mandates trying to force everybody to do this, this, and this. But just take care of yourselves. Um, if you need to wear a mask, if you need to socially distance, you know, be responsible with your own health. Um, do what is best for you and your family as the Lord leads you. And we'll have some more information about that uh, soon. Uh, another thing that I, I just kind of wanted to, to mention tonight, or today, sorry. I'm looking to see if I saw, did I see Coach come in this morning? Did not. I went to my first Troop Tiger football game this week. And after the kickoff, Troop received the ball. The first play, that quarterback, I think somebody told me he was a sophomore, throws a 60-some-odd-yard touchdown. I knew the game was over. So that was exciting to, to go and see that. It was, it was a fun time. I know the kids had a good time. Well, continuing on back to uh, where we're at in our, in our series, we're currently in a series called Follow Me, where we're looking at the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus through the eyes of the disciples. We're considering their, their life, their concerns, the politics of their day, the pressures that they faced, uh, just everything about what it was to be one of those Jewish disciples actually walking with Jesus. Remember, we're putting ourselves in their sandals instead of their shoes as we follow. And we're seeing what it might have been like to follow Jesus if we were actually there. And we're putting ourselves in specifically Peter's shoes. Peter is the apostle who kind of says the most, uh, he outbursts the most, he asks the most direct questions. Him and Jesus have a very interesting relationship. There's a lot of great praise given to Peter, and there's some great rebukes given to Peter as well. So we're following that today. We're building on that. If you remember last week, the disciples had gone off in, into a boat with Jesus and remember, Jesus falls asleep in the stern. He's taking a nap on a cushion in the back of the boat. And a great storm rises up. And the disciples are, are they're losing their minds. They're, they're, they're freaking out. And then they go to wake up Jesus. They say, don't you care that we're perishing, Lord? And he says, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? And then they marveled at this man, Jesus, and they said, what kind of man is this that the winds and the sea obey him? When he stood up and spoke to the sea and said, peace, be still. And there was a great calm after that. So today we're going to be in another story right back into another boat. Uh, I know we just were in a boat last week. We're going to be in a boat again this week. Now, these two events did not happen back to back at all. In fact, if you're reading the Gospels and you're trying to put together a timeline of all the Gospel accounts, it's probably several months, if not almost a year, between the two events that we're going to discuss today. And so what happened during those uh, events? Between those two, we've, Jesus has already cast some demons into a, a, a bunch of swine. He's healed a bleeding woman. He's raised a girl that was near the point of death. Healed blind men. He's cast out demons. He has sent out the twelve. There's a whole lot that has happened in between where we were last week when Jesus calmed the storm and where we're going to be at today, back in a boat with him. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we're at. And we're going to set up this, up this story today as we dive in. A few things happen that give us some context of why Jesus is doing what he's doing, where he's going, 
and why, again, why he's doing all of this. The book of Matthew tells us that right before Jesus goes to the, other, the east side of Capernaum, John the Baptist is killed. If we remember, John the Baptist was his cousin, right? And John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Messiah. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord, right? He's the fu- John the Baptist was the fulfillment of a prophecy by Isaiah. But John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And then he gets himself killed because an evil king who was practicing what we would refer to as incest wanted so- the wife came, wanted him dead. Anyways, it's a whole long story. We're not going to get into that. King makes a promise that he shouldn't have made to a woman he shouldn't have made that promise to, and John dies as a result. And so Jesus is obviously very disturbed by this. And we know that because Jesus, after some disciples come and tell Jesus what's happened to John, Jesus immediately wants to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He wants to leave Capernaum and go to the other side. So they get in, they go to the other side. He's trying to get away from everybody. Jesus wants to spend some time alone with God. And as he goes to get away, when he arrives on the shore, the disciples, what does he see? He looks up and there's throngs of people by the thousands who have come to hear him and to see him. And having compassion on them, he heals them. He teaches them. He does all these miracles. And then there comes a point where he tells the disciples, all right, let's send everybody home. Let's give them some food. And then he feeds the 5,000 with an exciting miracle, an amazing miracle. We're not going to get into that today. That's not where we're going to be at. But just to give us some context, if you've heard the story of feeding the 5,000, the little boy comes forward. He has the five fish, the two loaves. Jesus sends them out. They distribute that. There's 12 basketfuls of leftovers. It's this phenomenal miracle. And John tells us that the people are so excited and so wound up about this that they want to make Jesus their king right then and there. If Jesus was looking to start an army, if he was looking to have political power, you've got 5,000 men plus women and children right there that are ready to make you king. If Jesus came for earthly conquest, this would have been the moment to start, right? But what does Jesus do? He tells the 12 disciples, go to the other side while I send everybody away. Think about this. If you're a disciple, you just saw Jesus feed thousands of people. They want to make him the king, and he says no. And not only that, he then sends you to go back where you were while he sends the crowd away because he wants to be alone. And Scripture tells us that after he sent the disciples and after he dismissed the crowd, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. So a couple of things that we're going to see as we enter into the text today. After Jesus has gone up on the mountainside to to pray. This story deals with two of the same points that we touched on last week. Namely, whenever the disciples said, what sort of man is this? That even the seas and the wind obey him? We're going to see more of that today. Again, Jesus is both man and God. In his humanity, he was remorsing the loss and the death of his cousin. He wanted to go spend time alone with God. In fact, that's why he went 
to the other side of the sea was to get away from everybody. But when they all showed up, he had compassion. He took care of them. But then he sent everybody away so he could do what he had come there to do. He knew the importance of spending time with God. And we'll see, though, in his deity, when he comes later this evening, we'll see him defy all the laws of physics and creation. Because as God, he is the master of creation. He is the ruler of creation and the upholder of all creation. And then the second thing we'll see today is the, is the, the fear of the disciples is again addressed. And specifically, it's to Peter. And I think that message is very appropriate for where we're at in our, our world. I realize that we're doing two weeks in a row focusing on the humanity and deity of Christ and then also the fear of the disciples. But given everything that's been going on in our world, like Emily mentioned earlier this morning, the uptick in COVID, what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in our, in our own, in the United States, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of things that we might be afraid of. And so today I want us to be encouraged again as we see Jesus teach Peter to overcome fear with faith. But overcoming fear with faith is not easy. Let me caveat this as I say it. It's not a one and done decision. It's not a, okay, I'm going to make a decision to overcome my fear with faith. Good, I'm great, I'll never be afraid again. Oh, if it only worked that way. Life would be easy, wouldn't it? But overcoming your fears with faith is a moment-by-moment decision. It's a reality that you choose to walk in, that you choose to walk by belief in Christ instead of walking by belief in everything else going on around you. It's that you're putting your ultimate trust in Him instead of your circumstances. So again... Jesus has sent the disciples out to go ahead of him, sent them out into the boat where he goes up to the mountainside to pray and be alone. So you're setting out your, if you're Peter or the apostles, you might even be wondering and talking in the boat, like what, how's he going to get, how's he going to get to Capernaum? He sent everybody away. He's there by himself. He's going to have to walk all the way around the shoreline instead of taking the boat. That's going to take him forever. What is he doing? But I'm sure the disciples wondered this all the time, right? Jesus didn't necessarily prep them for everything that he did. And so as, a, as an apostle, as a disciple, you kind of learn to trust Jesus. Because even if you don't understand what he's going to do, he's going to do it anyway. He does, the, he does what he wants anyways. So you're going and you're, you're sailing in this, this boat. And again, as a fisherman... You and your brother, Andrew, and James and John, your fishing partners, you guys are fishermen. You love being out on the boat. This feels like home to you. You guys got this. There's a couple of other guys who aren't skilled fishermen with you. That's okay. You're not worried about them. You four have got the boat on lockdown. You're sailing, going through. And then all of a sudden, the winds start to pick up in the night, late in the night. They say the fourth watch, according to the scriptures, somewhere between 3 and 5 a.m., So real late in the night. But that's how long Jesus had been alone praying on the mountain is what we're left to assume. And so these winds begin to pick up. 
And then you and, and the other fishermen, y'all, y'all kind of start to realize, okay, this is getting pretty heavy. So, okay, Andrew, you, you hold down that portion over there. James, John, y'all make sure we're good back there. The boat starts to get blown off course. You start fighting these winds and these waves. And rather than staying just a couple of miles within the shoreline, you realize soon that you've been blown completely off course. And fighting these winds and waves for, for what feels like hours and hours fighting against all this, just trying to keep your little boat from capsizing, because if it capsizes in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, you're done, because you can't swim all the way back, so you know the immediate danger here. And as you're holding everything down, just trying to keep the boat from flipping over, trying to keep it steady, you're looking at the horizon, all of a sudden you see something that has to be a mirage, Something that has to be a hallucination just because you're so tired from, from trying to hold, keep the boat from going over all night long. Something that has to be wrong. Just You might just be exhausted in seeing things because as you look, you see the figure of a man walking towards your boat through the wind, through the waves, through this storm, and he seems to be unaffected. And as he's walking, he's coming up alongside your boat there's no way this could be right. And so some of the others start to notice that too. And in fear, they cry out, it's, it's a phantom, it's a ghost. What, what is that? Everybody in the boat is kind of losing their mind right now, right? You're several miles offshore in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. These winds and these waves are kicked up again. And this man comes walking through completely unencumbered as if he's just walking straight to your boat. You're all freaking out. Everybody's kind of losing their minds. And then you hear him speak to you. And he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. I love that statement that he, that he gives us here. He starts with take heart, which means courage. Don't, don't fear. Don't be afraid, right? He's trying to encourage. Then he tells him who he is. And then he tells them, don't be afraid again. He, he brackets that. You see that? Twice he's encouraging them not to be afraid. But he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And one of the things that we miss in the English if we read this is we might think Jesus said, don't worry, guys. It's just me. Don't be afraid. But that's not what Jesus says. Whenever Jesus says, take heart, after that, when he says, it is I... He uses the words that are translated in the Greek, ego eimi, which means I am. When Jesus came to them on the waves, he said, take heart. I am God. Do not be afraid. This is one of those moments in scripture where Jesus is claiming to be God. If anyone ever tells you Jesus never claimed to be God, I can show you over and over and over again where Jesus claims to be God. And you say, well, what's the big deal about him saying, I am, ego me, I am. That's the name that God told Moses when he sent him to go to Pharaoh. When Moses said, who shall I tell Pharaoh has sent me? And God said, tell him, I am. And that is the name that Jesus gave himself as he appeared to the disciples. This man is walking on water, defying all the laws of gravity and nature and physics because he is God. He is the creator of all this and the upholder of all this. And realizing 
recognizing this voice, right? You've heard this voice before. You've spent a couple of years following this man around. You know the sound of your shepherd's voice. And hearing his voice and realizing it's him as Peter, before you can even think, before you can even process what Jesus has just said, you blurt out to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you. What an extreme statement. Again, think about what's going on. You're in a boat that's being rocked by the waves. The wind is so hard, you've been blown way off course. A man comes walking to you on the water, speaking to you, claiming to be God. You recognize the voice and you say, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you. And how does Jesus respond to Peter? He says, come. A quick side note here. Just a few hours ago, thousands of people were clamoring for Jesus to become their king. And he said, no. There's been times when the Pharisees and the Sadducees have have come to him and they said, show us a sign. No. In just a few hours after this in the text, whenever they arrive on shore in Capernaum, there's going to be people who were on the other side of the sea who follow all the way around, who come to him and say to him, show us a sign that we may believe in you. The day after he fed 5,000 of them with five loaves and two fish. And he'll deny them as well. So why is it that Jesus says no to those people, but when Peter cries out to him, he says, come. Do you think it's because Peter was more special than those people? That's a good answer. Thank you. Which one was that? Was that Max or Avon? Oh. Who? Oh, good answer. Gets gold star today. <laughs> no, it's not because Peter was anything more special than anyone else. It's not because he was more holy than anybody else. In fact, if we look at this request with Peter, right? When Jesus speaks, Peter recognizes who it is that's speaking to him, doesn't he? He hears his Lord's voice and he recognizes. And we know that because he calls out Lord and he uses the word master. He doesn't just say, sir. He says, master, if it's really you, command me to come out to you. He wasn't asking Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah. He was showing, he was saying to his Lord, who he believed and he recognized, I want to be where you are. Let me come to you. And how does Jesus respond to that? He missed that one. That's okay, bud. You <laughs> got a 50-50 shot. <laughs> the Lord says, Come. You see, whenever we recognize who Christ is and when we long to be with him and we, we call out to him, let me come to you, he says, come. So after the Lord says, come, think about this, think about this. Peter steps out of the boat. It, it would be as astonishing as if I stepped off right now and just started walking, wouldn't it? I promise you, if I take one more step, I'm falling, guys. And I don't want to do that right now. 
But it would be that astonishing. But imagine that if you're the Apostle Peter and you cry out to Jesus and he bids you to come to him and you start walking on this water as this storm's going on around you, you're walking straight to Christ. And we don't know how far this walk was. A couple of things I notice when I read the text is uh, Matthew uses the words immediately a couple of times in this text, but he doesn't use the word immediately right here as Peter got out and walked to Christ. As Peter walks out to him. But then what happens? Many of us, we've heard this story a million times in our life. What happens is then Peter begins to notice the winds. As he's walking out to Christ, he's, he notices the winds. He feels those winds. The winds that have pushed their boat miles off course. He can feel the waves, the splash of the waves coming up. He can hear the storm. He can see the storm. He starts recognizing all those things and becoming afraid of those things. He begins to sink. And I can't imagine, again, we don't know how fast this was, how, but regardless, if you start to sink in the middle of the Sea of Galilee during a storm, you're going to start being afraid. And so I can't help but imagine as, as Peter starts to fall into the water, I kind of see it going a little fast. The moment he takes his gaze off of Christ and starts focusing on everything else, he plummets, splashing into the water. The waves are just overcoming him, and Christ is standing there right next to him, and he's, Lord, save me! As the water's splashing in his face, and he's just reaching and reaching. But notice how Jesus responds. When we look in the text, notice how Jesus responds. Does he punish him? Does he rebuke him? Does he let him drown? What does Matthew tell us? It says in verse 31 that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. And then once he had him... He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And this is one of those questions that almost feels rhetorical from the Lord. You're like, I was drowning. (laughs) But notice, he's already saved Peter when he speaks to him. Peter cries out to the Lord. The Lord reaches out and saves him right then, and then he speaks to him. And let me remind you of this, that if the Lord Jesus is holding on to you, if he has reached out, grabbed hold of you, you are safe forever. And there's nothing you can do to fall out of his grasp. But then he speaks to Peter. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Scripture tells us that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Those he receives as sons, he disciplines them. But notice, this isn't a a rebuke to condemn Peter. He's already saved Peter. He would not take hold of Peter just to let him go. He takes hold of Peter to keep hold of Peter. And he rebukes him to bring about a change in him as one that he has received. He says, oh, you of little faith. He doesn't say, oh, you of no faith. Peter has faith in Christ, therefore he has been saved. 
what the Lord is doing here is growing Peter's faith through this rebuke. Now, yes, Peter sank, right? But I still think it's amazing to think if you were in that boat, if you were one of the other guys, and then you're in that storm, you're, you're seeing the same thing, and then Peter cries out to him, and you're like, oh my gosh, Peter, would you just stop? You're one of the other, trust me, they were all sick of Peter at some times. I guarantee you that happened. But then all of a sudden, you see Peter get out of the side of the boat, and while the storm is raging on, there's two men walking on the sea. And then when Peter begins to sink, you see Christ standing on that water and he immediately reaches him out, brings him up, and comes into the boat with him. What would be going through your mind when that happened? The same thing that begins to happen with the disciples, right? The same thing that they begin to confess. This is how the passage ends. It says that they were those who were in the boat worshipped him. In verse 33, they said, truly, you are the son of God. But again, with everything that's, that's happened with this, we, we can relate to this story in a, in a lot of ways. It's real easy to bring this story into our own lives today. We as believers, we, we see Christ we want Christ. We want to be with Christ. In fact, we even want to be with Christ enough to step out of the boat, to step out of our old life and to follow him. But as we go, we get distracted. We get discouraged. We start feeling the, the pressure from the winds in our lives. And we start looking at those things instead of looking to Christ. And at times it feels like we too are, are drowning. Just crying out, Lord, save me. And how did Jesus respond to that cry from Peter? Immediately he reached out and took hold of him. So for believers and non-believers alike, if you find yourself sinking... If you find yourself doubting, struggling, focusing on the winds and the waves and the things and the stuff and the pressures and the strife and the disease and the this and the that, all of these things but Christ. Take your eyes off of those things and lay them upon Christ. Cry out to him, Lord, save me. And the one who reaches out to take hold of you will save you and keep saving you. Those of us who are believers, it's not that we just were saved at one time. It's that we are always being saved by Christ. Continually being delivered from everything. Always he is there for us to uphold us. Always he is there to reach out. He never lets us fall out of his grasp. What Jesus said in the book of John shortly after this, if you go read in John chapter 6, towards the end of chapter 6, you'll see a passage where Jesus starts talking about how it is the will of his Father that he loses nothing that the Father has given him. And he says that all those who look upon the Son and believe shall have eternal life. Jesus loses nothing that belongs to him. 
And if you look to him and believe, then you belong to him. And he will never lose you. He will never forsake you. His gaze never shifts. He is forever steady. His heart never wanders. It's always fixed. Once you are his, you are his forever. No matter the winds, the waves, the storms, or anything else in your life. Christ is there to hold you and raise you up. Church, will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today, God. And Lord, we admit that we don't always keep our gaze fixed on you. God, we admit that there's things that we begin to worry about and to look at instead of just trusting in you in situations. As we think about all these things going on in our world, the conflicts in the Middle East, the rise of this disease, the strife in in the politics, just the concerns of everyday life, God. Help us not to trust in those things. Help us not to look to those things to decide our lives, but help us to keep our gaze fixed on you. The one who is the author, the founder, and the perfecter of our faith, God. Lord, we know that you receive every single person who comes to you. And as believers, we have come to you, Christ, and we are trusting only in you. We trust only in your blood. We trust only in your name. Because we know that you are the God who saves You are the God who redeems. You are the God who upholds the righteous because you are God and there is none like you. So Lord, I pray for everyone in this congregation as we go about our days, as we go about our life, when we feel those winds, when we're tempted to look at the storm, help us keep our eyes fixed on you and nothing else. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray all of this in the name of your Son, our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus. Amen. Now we're going to move into our...